I think we're changing the four-wheeler to snow machine in the first. Is that right? Actually, is there any, you've been out there, I think. Are we end up going to have to move the date of that just because of weather? Or are you thinking we're all right for the four-wheeler? If Greg is saying he thinks it'll be all right, bring a life jacket. <laughs> all right. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> I won't be there. I'll tell you that right now. Roger. There you go. That's what we'll do. We'll just go around in circles around the church. That's a good idea. That, you come up with some really good ideas at times, Roger. I'm impressed. Matthew chapter 12. Also be praying, I believe it is tomorrow morning that we do start in the Philadelphia radio market. It'll be the two of the top five markets in the nation we will now be in. And I, we're going to be on from 7, 8. We start at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday. Um, and I believe the first broadcast goes out tomorrow at 7 a.m. there. We're also on in the evenings there at 6 p.m. as well. Matthew chapter 12. Just a couple of verses. This, this will be a short message here this evening. Um, verse number 43 through 45. An important lesson here, though. Again, I will pick up when I get back in the series on Calvinism, and uh, we will go through the, we'll start the T of the tulip, total depravity. Um, but uh, for now, let's, let's look at this tonight. I think it'll be a help. Jesus Christ, of course, is speaking, and he says this, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return into my house. Notice how he identifies that person. From whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then he goeth and taketh with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We ask your blessing upon the service. Lord, help me to stay true to your word. And Father, I pray that you'd guide and direct what I say, how I say it. Help me to speak clearly. And Lord, I pray that this would draw us closer to you, that we'd use it to meet needs. And Lord, to, again, to help our walk. So please work, Lord, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. In context here, I'm not going to deal with the greater purpose of what Christ was driving at. He was driving at the problem of the nation of Israel. The Pharisees, of course, accused him of, of being of the devil, denying his true source of power, being of God. And Jesus, over and over again, really was always giving great truth and great warning to the Pharisees. See, the nation of Israel had gotten rid of one demon. You go back to the time of the Babylonian captivity, and that was the demon of idolatry. They were very idolatrous and, and just incredible, this nation that God had been working through. They had turned to idolatry, but they cleaned that up. They went into captivity. They cleaned that up. But now, here they are, getting ready to crucify the Son of God. They want Him dead. The worst state being far worse than the first condition that they were in. 
So that's the primary teaching. But of course, being here in the Bible, there are applications that I want to make with this text tonight. I want to focus on how the demon found the person he had left. He had found that body empty, swept, and garnished. Those are the three things that I want to focus on for this message. In our day, just like in Christ's day for that, for that matter, we have a great problem of reformation without regeneration. We have multitudes of people trying to live the Christian life when in truth they have never been regenerated. There's never been a genuine rebirth to Christ. Pews are packed with people who have reformed their lives, but they are not regenerated. That is actually a horrible place to be. It's not enough to clean the house. It's important that you invite in the right tenant. Speaking, of course, of the Spirit of God. We can also learn from these verses why you, often we'll hear conversations like this if you've been in maybe the same church for a number of years where you hear somebody who at one point in time was so faithful in the church, active even, serving, and then, you, then all of a sudden you get a report of how they're doing and it's so wicked and so vile. You're just stunned. How could somebody that was here go that far off? I mean, just to really jump off the cliff. I mean, we're not just talking backslidden. We're talking just, wow. It's the same thing we're seeing here. Where the last state is far worse than the first state because they tried reformation without regeneration. And so let's get into this, and let's look at these three. And again, I'll be quick here this evening. I I really don't expect probably to be about 20 minutes with this, and we'll be done. So first off, we notice that this demon, it is interesting, there are several different things we could apply to this, how in the demon's mind, he wanted to find rest, and in his mind, rest was being able to possess somebody. He wasn't able to find it, and so he said, I'm going back to that person that I was in. He'd been cast down. I'm going to go back and see what's there. And sure enough, he found opportunity once he got there. When he came back, when he has come, he findeth it. This is how the Lord describes the life, empty swept, and garnished. There's a danger when those three things are present in your life, when it's simply empty, swept, and garnished. So first off, the empty life. The empty life here is not speaking of idleness, although that's dangerous, of course. Idleness will always get you into trouble. You should be occupied. uh, You should be busy. But this is speaking of emptiness, Again, there's a great difference between idleness and emptiness. An empty life is one where there's a void of God. For the Christian, really no love for him, no desire. For the lost one, where there is no genuine salvation, the Spirit of God is not there. Listen, the very moment you got saved, the very moment you put your faith in Christ, this is how this works. Romans chapter 8, the very moment, uh, Romans, yeah, Romans chapter 6, the very moment you put your faith in Christ, God's Spirit indwells you at that very moment. And then as the Bible tells us, seals you unto the day of redemption. That's what we refer to as that new birth, when God's Spirit moves in. That produces life. Life in the sense of this, that now 
your spirit can have that fellowship with God for the first time. God's spirit indwelled you and sealed you. Apart from that, there is no salvation, there is no life. For the safe person, how they can end up with an empty life, God's Spirit will never leave, of course. He is there until the day of redemption. But for us, we have to be careful. We're all of a sudden, within our actions and our daily routine, we have no place for God. Or maybe we relegate Him to a Sunday service. Life is about the Creator. He doesn't just simply get a time slot in your life. Life is about God. The truth is, think about this statement. Any purpose in life, any, where God is not central to, would be vanity. That doesn't mean your life is to be all about, quote, religious service. That's not what I mean by that at all. I mean, again, you might be a police officer. You might be in the military, the Air Force, the Army. You might be a repairman. But your life is not in the substance of that. What should be central to all of it, regardless of what you do, is God. We allow God to be the reason that we live and that we do right. You think of the Apostle Paul's statement, it was in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For the love of Christ constraineth me. The importance of having right motivation. See, it's not just that we do right. It's part of the lesson here, by the way. It's why you do right. The motivation behind it. So often, we even, as parents, we can condition our children on just what's important is the action of doing right, when what is much more important is why they're doing right. When you focus on the action of what's doing right and not what's behind the motive of doing right, you're in for a world of trouble. Doing right for the wrong reason can lead to a life that is easily destroyed. You see, you you teach your children just doing right without the right motive behind. You teach your children to love God and and to do right because of God. Because if if they're just doing right because mom and dad say so, and they learn obedience because of your presence, what happens when you're gone? What happens when they're out of your authority? Rebellion hits. It's about teaching them to do right because it's what they desire. My, my children heard, heard this all the time growing up. You never impress me when you do right in front of me. You have to. But you do impress me when you do right and I'm not around. Why we do right is so important. Again, it's why my prayer for my kids every day, I still pray that for them every day. I'll pray that for them every day. Lord, I pray that they would love you and serve you and serve you because they love you. A little bit reverse now. I'll start with Levi. He's still in the house. And then move on to Daniel and his family and Heather and her family and Rachel and her family and Bethany and her family. I don't know if Daniel or would remember this. The Rachel, of course, isn't here. But I had talks with him before they left the house, before leaving for college, about how I don't want you to do right so because you're worried about you're going to get a slip, a demerit. I don't. 
I, I don't want that to be the motive for why you do right. I want you to do right because it's right. Because you want to honor God. Again, what happens when all of a sudden they're apart from those rules? Now you open the door for massive sin to come right in. Because the motive for why they were doing right wasn't present. They had an empty life. Nor do I want to stand before the Lord and knowing that the only reason I did right was because I was afraid of man or because I wanted to conform to whatever group I was in. I want him to know that I did right because of him. There's marks of a Christian whose life is actually empty and they're trying to serve. You will get easily burned out because the motive is off. It's off. Burnout will come in quickly. Serving and getting in service, it will get old to you very quickly. It's kind of like the motive for, I don't know if that's a good illustration or not, because I still didn't even like changing the diapers of my own kids when they were small. So that, that illustration went in my mind and went right out really quick. But I could say this, honestly. I would much prefer, eh, it's a bad illustration. I'm going on. I'm not going there. I might end up puking up here anyhow if I start talking about diapers. Another mark besides that is, is when it's empty and you're trying to serve, you will find yourself easily offended. Easily. Somebody doesn't shake your hand, a little remark, and you're offended by that. Something's wrong. Listen to me. Something's wrong right there. You have something off. Now, this isn't exhaustive. This doesn't cover all the reasons, but this is a reason why that happens at times. Something's off. If the slightest thing is, is getting you offended, something's wrong. It's also a life where you have a hard time finding the joy of the Lord. A life where you have a hard time finding the joy of the Lord. Because the motive isn't there. That love, that desire for God. Because you can't see that's why you're serving. You can't see that that's it. To you, just like the illustration I use of building a wall, you're just busy laying bricks. And that gets old quick. You can't see the greater purpose. You can't see why you're doing what you're doing from a right perspective. And that gets old. There's no joy in that. But if you realize what you're actually doing for the Creator, joy comes in. Number two, a swept life. This man cleaned his life. There's no lasting purpose behind it. This is more specifically of these three, the Reformation without regeneration. This is cleaning it up. Cleaning it up. Listen, we all need to clean our life and remove sin. That's true. But the power to keep it clean doesn't come from us. It comes from the power of God's Holy Spirit when we've been regenerated. Just like I remember at the time, I had no clue, and it just fits well with this. The day that I got saved, the day that I put my faith in Christ, remember, I would really know nothing of the Bible at this point. 
And I didn't understand why it happened then. I do now because I've grown in my faith. But I still remember. Here I am. I get saved. It's two hours later. I'm out with my cousins. I'm still am excited what had just happened. I mean, I'd been working on that for six months. And we were out playing by tree, and, and I cussed like I always did. And all of a sudden, it, it just hit. Oh, that, that's not right. I never felt bad about that one time. I didn't understand it then. I do now. That's because, you know what happened? God's Spirit moved in. Regeneration had occurred hours earlier. Now all of a sudden, God's Spirit said, what? Hey, listen, knucklehead, stop it. That doesn't happen. The conviction was taking place. Know what he was beginning to do? To begin to conform to the image of his dear son. God's Spirit was, was beginning to convict. We can deceive ourselves, hold on to pet sins, convince ourselves that a sinful action is not even sinful. Multitudes are great at doing that today. It's like driving into a mud puddle and deciding to wash your car there. Well, that's Anchorage every day right now. That's probably a bad illustration. Listen, this one right here, the swept life, was one of the reasons that we, that we lose a lot of our teenagers. Why they don't want nothing to do with God. Listen to me. They make a profession of faith when they're very young. Because we as independent fundamental Baptists got into this obsession of who wants to go to heaven? Who wants to go to heaven? Bow your head. I've been in the services. This happened all the time. I've been in it. I've seen it take place. Who Go into a bunch of six-year-olds, seven-year-olds, eight-year-olds. Who here likes to go to heaven? How many seven-year-olds want to say, I want to go to hell? None of them. Bow your head ask Jesus into your heart. Okay. They do that. They're pronounced saved. Parents here, your child has been converted. They get them baptized. That child now believes they are converted. Now, watch what happens. They're not, of course. They're not. That's not conversion. They get older. Nine years old. Ten years old. They're conforming to the culture they know. Nobody likes to stand out. The culture they know is Christianity within that church. They conform to it. They had 13 years old. 14 starts to get a little bit more challenging. 15 more so. They don't like it. It's hard. They don't understand. This is difficult. I don't want to do this. 16. More challenging. You want to know why? They're trying reformation without regeneration. They don't have the Spirit of God in there saying, no, yes, this is it. The desire for God, the desire for His Word is not present. They're just trying to conform. They're trying to clean up the life. They want to try and do what's right, but the power, the ability to do it isn't there. The regeneration has never taken place. What they end up desiring in their early teenage years is simply conformity, not God. And then that will truly manifest. You'll see it in the house prior to that. But then it will truly manifest the moment they are out in whatever manner that takes place, whether it's at 18 or 28, when they're out from that authority unless conversion takes place. Once that authority has gone to them, I'm done with that. This is what I'm choosing. Lastly, number three, a garnished life. 
all these are dangerous. Perhaps this one is the most dangerous. This part is key in examining where your life is at. A garnishment means, the word means decoration. So he's referring to what the demon saw was he put things in his life to make it look as if things were fine, but they weren't. He garnished. It was just garnishment. It's like a piece of art, which it's just a replica of something else. Like if it's a picture of a man, the art is not the man. It's just a picture of it. It's the shadow of the thing. Many times when you're trying to do this, you just end up putting garnishment up in your life. You're just decorating. You're just covering up. You're just hanging garnishments. They put things in their life to make it seem as if they are a Christian. Or, in the case of a saved person, to make it seem as if they are right with God. They garnish it. This is what a Christian is supposed to look like. I'm just putting it up. I'm garnishing my life. The garnishment represents something in your life that's fake. It's not real. It's fake. It's not genuine. It's the shadow. It's not the substance. It's feigned. It's hypocritical. The devil loves to provide different garnishments for your life. Instead of putting in place the real thing. I'm going to try and give you a list right here. I'm going to go through it quickly. You won't really have time to write it down. Of a garnishment versus the real thing. What the devil tries to substitute, what you put up as a garnishment instead of the genuine item. He wants you to have tolerance instead of patience. There's a difference. He wants you to have apathy instead of gentleness. He wants you to have self-righteousness instead of goodness. He wants you to have presumption instead of faith. He wants you to have weakness instead of meekness. He wants you to have discipline without devotion. See, the first ones in all those, those are garnishments. Those are things that make it seem as if everything's all right. But they're not genuine. They're not the real thing. It is serving God with feigned lips. Outward, you serve God, but you know your heart is far from Him. You have to have the garnishment. You want to know why? Because life is empty. It's empty. You try to fill it with vain things that can never replace the real thing. It's never actually getting to the place as a result of conversion, of setting your mind on God, realizing it's all about God, and serving by faith. Of setting aside the things of this world and saying, you know what, if this is true and it's all about God, fine, then that's what I'm going to do. That's when you're allowing God to work. That's when the garnishment now gets replaced by the real thing. That's when it's no longer a game. It's no longer pretend. It's no longer about conformity. It's about Him. 
Let me finish with this when I was a teenager, and I'll be done. In, in some ways, it's, it's kind of odd. I, and and w- when I think back on this, it's, it's almost like an oxymoron or a, some type of paradox. Um, I am very thankful for how I ended up growing up. And even the church that I was in. Now, keep in mind, the church I was a teenager, there's no way I would join that church today. There is no way. But I'm so thankful that's how God allowed it to happen. I'm thankful. I think back to my parents getting divorced when I was six. And how through the series of events and God's sovereignty, if my mom ended up having to move a couple years later closer to family, my uncle who went to uh, uh, First Baptist Church in North Ridgeville. And I hear the gospel. Just going to church because of my cousins. And from the very first service, though I will know that, from the very first service, it catching my attention. And hearing that for the first time. It kind of reminded me, even this morning, we had a young man who was here this morning. He was sitting in the back. And I, I, I like seeing this when I'm preaching. It's not the first time I've seen something like this. And as I started preaching, was just engrossed in his phone. Probably playing a game would be my guess. But as the minutes passed by, I kept on noticing, hmm. Hmm. And then it went down. And then the leaning up. It reminded me, I, I just went to church the first time. You know, my cousins went. We were really close. But then I heard the preaching. I was like, hmm, I've never heard this. So anyhow, I come to know Christ. Church got the new pastor, and a couple years later, I began growing. Now, keep in mind, in my house, now, of course, Levi's the last one left. This will never happen in my house, so it ain't, it ain't happening, all right? But, but virtually, there was no rules. There really wasn't. I could almost do anything I wanted. Now, I was the first one saved in my family. Keep that in mind. Um, if I wanted to go out and party, okay. Then add to that the church. Within the church, it was a church I would disagree. We, we had Hollywood movie nights. We had mixed swimming together. We had, we had so many things that, you know, I would just... And actually, as I grew my, during my teenage years... Yeah, I've I told you the story. I pulled back from some of those things. I still remember the pastor pulling me in. I mean, he's still he's, he's elderly now. But I remember pulling me in my office and saying, Terry, you have to go to these things. You're a youth leader in here. And I said, I can't. I, I, don't want, I can't go to those things anymore. And, I, and you know, I'm put up with a mocking. Other teenagers think you just want to be self. I hated that part of it. It was the one thing that, that almost kept me from taking the different stands I did, because I never wanted that viewpoint. I didn't. But I knew as I was friends with everybody around each other, I knew the majority of these, my friends, there's about 25 of us, I knew when they left, they're all gone. This isn't real to any of them. It was garnishment. There was no actual desire for God. And at first, I, I didn't quite get that as I started serving God. I figured, he's God. Why would you not want to do this? 
And why I'm thankful for that in ways is just because it kept my motive always right. It kept it in place. I just simply didn't do it because it was in the home. I just didn't simply do it to conform to the church because actually, you know, I ended up being very different by the time my senior year came around. And I still stayed involved in everything. There was kind to everybody, you know, never isolated myself. Just That never happened. The point is this. When you do decide to clean up, it's so important what you put in place of it. That you have that right motive. That life is all about God. The end is not in the obedience itself. Although that is a manifestation of the love of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. But listen to me. It's not about the obedience. It's not about the action. It's about God. And so it needs to drive the obedience is that. Because when that's in place, wherever you're at, God's there. And, and you know what? You don't have to worry about the pastor not recognizing what you're doing. Because the one you're doing it for sees everything you do. And it pleases him and it honors him. There's nothing you do before God that doesn't go without him recognizing it. Nothing. And it pleases him, I believe, even more when nobody else does recognize it. Because know what it shows? You're doing it for him. You're doing it for him. Not for praise of men. Not to, be rec- not to be noticed in that sense, but for him. So, let me finish with this question. We'll go on invitation. How would a demon find your life? If he was to come check you out right now, what would he say about it? With heads bowed and eyes closed. Now, first, let me ask this question, as I do every service. If you're to die right now, do you know where you would go? Because one day you will, when you die, the day will come when you will stand before Almighty God in judgment. He's not going to ask what church you went to. He's not going to ask if you've been baptized. He's not going to ask if you took communion. He's not going to ask if, 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 how good you were. He's going he's to open up a book the Bible tells us. One's going to have your works in it. In other words, he's going to show you every time you've broken his law. That's Romans 2. When you're found guilty, you will be cast into a lake of fire. Something has to happen to make you look perfect. That is why God became a man, to make you look perfect. The Son of God lived the perfect life for you. When he went to the cross, he literally took on your sin and your judgment. So that he can in turn give you his perfect life. Salvation is only in him. Not in church. Nothing else. You must make sure your faith is in Christ alone. Is there anyone here say, Pastor, listen, I am not certain of that. That I have put my faith in Christ alone. Would you pray for me? I won't call you out. But if you'd like me to pray for you, would you just put your hand up? Yes, I see that. I see some small children. Anybody else? All right. Christian, if the Lord worked on your heart, you come and pray. Father in heaven, bless this invitation, Lord. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's turn to page 174. If you need to come and pray, you come and pray.